millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Thank you very much. Welcome to the Slacktivist Action Group. Now, my wife gave birth to our second child a week ago, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. Thank you very much for a polite British round of applause. Of course, if this had been America, I'd have been able to sit down for the next five minutes for the whooping and a hollering. But often in Britain, you go, oh, I've just had a kid, and the reaction is, hmm, get over yourself. I had one age 13, it's not that big a deal. (laughs) My daughter, we only got home, we only got home on Friday. And you think, you think about the world that you're bringing a child into at the moment, the world of Trump, the world of Brexit negotiations, the world of Kim Jong-un, and a world where if you work hard and play by the rules, your wages can decrease in real terms (laughs) over a 20-year period. We saw the Paradise Papers released, how the rich are avoiding more and more tax by dodgy means. And I want you to know, ladies and gentlemen, I I pay my tax. Some comedians do pay their taxes. (laughs) So I was trying to pay my tax recently online, and, uh, you know, actually HMRC wouldn't accept my money. That is the story that I've concocted with my lawyer, and we were... (laughs) We will be sticking to that story. Now, the problem was I was trying to pay it online and there was a problem, so I phoned up the bank and they said, oh, Mr Parsons, what you're trying to do is you're paying by debit card, they said, and uh, we have limits in place, Mr Parsons, to prevent fraud and you need to know that, Mr Parsons. And I said, well, obviously we know it's not fraud, don't we, because we spent the last five minutes verifying I am who I say I am and obviously you don't think it's fraud, do you, because you keep referring to me as Mr Parsons. (laughs) And what's more, in the whole history of crime, has anybody tried to defraud anybody else by paying their frickin' tax bill for them. (laughs) And she said, she said, oh, Mr Parsons, what we need you to do, we need you to pay it in a series of instalments. And I said, oh, so you're happy to be defrauded just over a number of days. (laughs) And she said, I'm not authorised to answer that, she said. She said, all I can tell you, we have limits in place to prevent fraud. And I said, well, obviously, we know it's not fraud, don't we? Not only can I answer all the questions that you have in front of you, I can throw in some bonus questions as well. Not only do I know what my first pet was called and my mother's maiden name, I can combine the two of them and tell you what my porn name is as well. And she said, I should warn you that we're recording these calls for training purposes. And I said, well, I don't think they'll be using this one. Because if they do, 
he'll learn sod all. And this was too much for her, right? This was too much for her. So she said, I'm going to call my supervisor. So, you know, she said, you're going to get a call in a couple of minutes. So five minutes later, I get a call back. Hello, is that Mr Parsons? Yes, it is. Hello there, I'm from the bank. Now, I've just got a few security questions I need to ask you to verify you are who you say you are. And I said, well, you've called me up. Surely I'm the one who should be asking you the security details. Surely you've got quite a lot of security details about me already, given that you phoned my home phone and I am waiting for your call. Obviously, there's a fair chance I am, in fact, a burglar hanging around by a phone, just waiting for a bank to call on the off chance they might be a bit loose with some security details. <laughs> and he said, he said, Mr Parsons, said, what's going to happen? He says, we're going to put you through to the fraud team. They'll clear your debit card. They'll then put you back to me and we'll be able to continue. And I said, well, how will I know they're the fraud team, I said. <laughs> I said, why don't you put yourself through to the fraud team? You then clear my card, come back to me. And then I said, I've still got some burgling to do. Okay. (laughs) He said, he said, Mr Parsons, he said, Mr Parsons, before I put you through, he said, is there anything else I can help you with? And I said, well, given your record so far, that seems unlikely, but please keep talking. I think I might be able to get a routine out of this. And he then said, I recognise your voice, I think. He said, are you that comedian bloke? To which I replied, I'm terribly sorry, I'm not authorised to answer that. (laughs) And on that note, ladies and gentlemen, would you please welcome to the stage Clive Lewis MP, Catherine Conway, the founder of Unpackaged, and Dominic Hollands. Welcome to the Slacktivist Action Group. Dominic, let's start with you. Something, that, yes. uh, something in the ideal world you would be less slack about. Well, in my world, I would like lads to be less earnest about me having a half a lager. Because I'm not a lad. I don't drink a lot. So when I go out with mates, I can't keep up. And I like the idea of drinking what I want to drink. But a lot of blokes, no, you have to carry on, have another one. You can't have, you can't have a half or a half. And that just gets on my tits. I just don't like it. I like to be able to do what I want to do. And I don't know why blokes feel they have to be big geezers. Do you, are you ever tempted to buy a pint and then just No, I like half? a pint. Yeah. But I won't carry on drinking pints with them. Because once they get past three and four, I know tomorrow is going to be a bad day for me. So I'll rein it in. And then so I say, if there's another round, I'll say, I'll have a half. There's more pain in me having that half than there is in me actually having another pint and having a headache in the morning. What I'm suggesting to you, though, is why not have the pint, but then not drink all, just drink the half. Then you don't get the grief, you only get the half and you don't get the headache. Do you know what? I was in Ireland on a tour with some mates. You haven't answered my question. No, hang on. (laughs) No, I'm going to tell you what happened. I was in Ireland on a tour with some mates, and it was Guinness. And I'm drinking Guinness, and Nick bought me a pint of Guinness, which I didn't want. I didn't didn't ask for it. I said, I'm not having any one full. Brought me a pint of Guinness, and I'm about a third in. I go to the toilet with my Guinness... (laughs) I'm pouring it down the urinal. He's followed me in. <laughs> He's watching me. The grief I got was just ridiculous. Yes. Because I'm a small man, right? I'm nine stone wet through. I can't drink as they can. Fair enough. I was going to offer to the group, as, as my slackness for this month, um, 
I'd have been, in an ideal world, I'd have been less slack about having kids because Dominic and I are much the same age. Dominic has got four kids, three teenagers, and aged 21, he also, his son is Tom Holland, the actor, who plays Spider-Man. I now have a daughter who's naught years old who can't even burp without assistance. (laughs) So, in comparison... And there's nothing my son can't do. (laughs) Literally... (laughs) <laughs> Literally, the fictional character and my son, who is wealthier than all of us. Bastard. <laughs> so, Catherine, what would you like to offer to the group? I think I wish I was less slack about being a vegetarian. Oh, yes. It's you can always happening. not be. No, no, I am. No, I, knew, I want to be a vegetarian, but I'm, I'm oh. being really slack about getting over that final... It's happening and it's coming, but it's But hard. every now and again, what, what, what is it that sort of tips yeah. you over? Is, is it a bacon sandwich or is it... stock. Chicken stock. Chicken stock. Does that even... I would think you could virtually a vegetarian if you just ate chicken stock. It's only water with a tiny bit in, isn't it? You can make... Even vegetarians be going, oh, I don't that really counts, does it? You can do it in a stage. You can drop red meat first, obviously, which is easier to do, right? Yep. Because red meat, I don't eat much red meat. Exactly. And then, but then a little bit of bacon. Occasionally. A little bit of liver, nice. maybe. But drop red. Chicken stock, chicken noodles. Oh, a little bit of liver. I, I could give up liver tomorrow. In fact, I, I virtually <laughs> have given up liver. I don't know if there's a I name for not eating liver, but I haven't done that for 30 iron. years or something. It's very good for your iron, liver. Well, i tell you what's it's good, good for your iron, yeah. <laughs> Guinness. If you keep on pouring it down, Guinness. you've got to eat the bloody liver, haven't you? <laughs> Clive, what about you? What would you like um, to offer to the group? I'd say saying no. Saying no. So I get a lot of... People like your own team ask me to come and do things, and I <laughs> and I say yes. But this is supposed to be bonding, mate. <laughs> well, no, this is this is great because everybody so, listening listening to the show will be going, "Oh, Clive, he'll do anything. He, he can't say no." So I, I don't say no enough. Basically, what happens when you're an MP? You get a lot of people come up to you and say, "Oh, Clive, I've got this. I've got this project. I've got this thing." And today, actually, I found out someone who I had in an off the cuff comment, off the cuff comment, said. Um, this sounds really interesting. Why don't you put it down in writing for me? And they've come back, and they've taken a year and produced the mother of all spreadsheets. And I was looking at it today, and I almost cried because they've put so much work into it. So I will now go away and have to kind of do something with that. Um, but from an offhand comment a year ago, I said, that sounds really interesting. And it did. Why don't you put it down in writing for me? And now I'm, now I'm in a point where I've got it's a spreadsheet a whole the, year. Size, the size of my office when you print it out. And it's like, yeah. I'm like, Can so, you tell so us what no, I think what, what Saying no sometimes. Saying no sometimes. Because you, what you want, when you're an you want, I, you, you, most people come into politics to help people. So when someone says to you, I've got an idea, I want to do something, you want, to, you want that enthusiasm, you want them to do it, but you also, at the same time, very difficult to say, no, I'm not interested. But I think if, they, if they, you said, oh, I think that's very interesting, they come, come back to me, put it down on paper, and then they come back to you and it's on paper and it looks quite complicated, you go, it wasn't as interesting as I thought it was. <laughs> but I'm not going to tell you what I said in my office. <laughs> but no, it was it, it actually... The thing... Yeah, anyway, that's why. No, fair enough. <laughs> and, can, fair enough. and can we ask what the premise was? Oh, no, that'll give it away. This no, no yeah, we almost said to no, He hasn't read it, he doesn't know. Clive Lewis has just, just said no just, to something, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. Did you see that? <laughs> uh, I'm learning. Something yeah, yeah, very good. You've helped me. Very, very good. So, 
Um, we were d- delighted the, in, in the sense that um, we were worried that you weren't going to be here today, Clive. Not that you, obviously, you, you've said yes, but uh, we were like, that there's a three line whip in the House of, of mm. Commons today, but it, it turned out there wasn't for a vote. So we, we're grateful that you, you are here. If you hadn't shown up, you know, for panel shows, they often replace people with an object or something like that if they haven't turned up. We were going to replace you with the sound effect of, of a, a wall being punched. And this was in reference to something that you now say didn't happen. This was a. The Labour Co- Party so, conference yeah. last year, you were supposed to have been so pissed off that they changed your speech on the auto queue and only told you via post-it note as you were sort of walking up. Well, the, the speech, I'm told now the speech was still changing as I was, as I was walking up to the podium. So I, was going, I laugh about, I laugh with Seamus Milne about this. We laugh. We laugh. We do. We genuinely None do. None of us believe we that do. Seamus Mill ever laughs, to be yeah, honest. He, no, he does. He does have a funny side. It's, it's there. It's a small facet, but it is there. <laughs> um, he, and, he, and we laughed about it actually the day in, in the context of some of the other problems and issues that are now arising within politics. And we laughed about it. But no, um, the reason I denied that, because, well, two reasons. One, it didn't happen. <laughs> and two, I was really peed off the fact that I've been there for, I've been in politics for a short while, and the way that the media jumped on this, people were saying to me, hey, but it's pretty cool, you lost your temper over something that shouldn't have happened. And I was like, but yeah, I know what's happening here. You know, I'm a black man in politics, and they want a narrative, which is that as a black man, you can lose control. You have a temper, violent temper. And it's a stereotype. I don't think even the journalists reporting it perhaps knew it, but I was really aware of it. So, you know, and it's happening now again in some ways. You know, oh, the, and is it definitely because you're a black man, do you think? Or well, is it, you know, look, is it the fact that you were in the army, they might want to see you as a, an all-action man? And also, compared to most MPs, you are quite tasty in terms of, you know, you're quite stacked. Stacked, <laughs> you <laughs> Well, yeah. You're warming to Dominic now, aren't you? You're warming to <laughs> If we you, can get Dominic a couple of pints of Guinness, kind of who knows? You've got, you've got a Peter Parker kind of little look. Well, you know. But can I ask you, though, Surely, if you're going to give a speech, you need to sign off on it. Oh, well. Now, now they're, they're, now laughing getting, now. they're laughing now, about now it now. They're laughing about it now, Dominic. So, it's okay. So obviously, it was signed off, but then someone wanted to then kind of amend the sign off. But look, that, you know, that is the past. But the, you, the point you made about is it because I was a soldier? The bottom line is it's because I'm a human being, and, and, and it's a bit of drama. Oh, you punched the wall. But you have to also be aware there are forces and facts at work, you know, subliminal and and subtle which are out there and I, I'm not being paranoid about it I was just like well hold on a second I don't want to be defined by someone the first time most of the public would have heard of you is as punching a wall and was, it, was there any basis in truth at all had you sort of I, when were I you came, leaning on the wall with your I, fist or anything like this was it <laughs> I um I I flew off the stage and I came off and I gave it and I and I did give you know short shrift to a number of people behind the stage who'd been responsible, um, but I didn't punch the wall. I mean I, I was I was ready to launch. I mean someone someone said to me uh, I don't know about punching the wall. I would have punched Seamus. And uh, now I'm not I'm not condoning that for a second. But and, and, but I was I think I had a right to be upset. There's an expression in in the West Indies which my dad said to me when he heard what happened, which is well monkey knows which tree to climb. And I was like, what's that mean? And he went, well, monkeys don't climb up. Mon- a monkey is, uh, is the master of climbing up a tree. And it will not jump onto a tree that it doesn't know that it can climb up. And buddies are the same. Or people that do things that they shouldn't are the same. And so consequently, my dad said, he won't do that to you again. Um, and, you know, that's, that's, I think that's true. I came off and I let everyone know I was most unimpressed at what had happened. I didn't punch a wall. 
Um, and I think that's an important, an important marker to put down. And you, you were then moved from defence, you went to business, and you resigned that because you, they, they wanted to trigger Article 50 and you didn't want to vote for that. Um, in terms of how the Brexit negotiations are going and if, if the public are going to change their mind on Brexit, Tony Blair telling them to change their mind, or well, it, 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 it's, it's not going to work. As a fan of Remain, how, how are we going to get to the stage of actually the British public, if we are going to get to that stage, that they're going to dis- turn against it? I mean, a euro in some travel exchanges, is worth more than a quid now. Rather than telling people that we might want a, a second referendum, is there anything in trying to encourage people doing booze cruises to Calais? And, you know, when they get over there finding Dover was cheaper than Calais and then thinking, fuck it, we, maybe we should do something about this. Uh, mm, I think on the issue of Brexit, the problem we now have is that we have um, no constitution, no written constitution in this country, which I think is becoming glaringly obvious that the situation, the mess that we find ourselves in, if we had a written constitution, we would have been, there would have been a, a, a guide path out of what we do next, what happens next. This is a major fundamental change to the constitution. Therefore, you know, all the things about all the safety checks that should have been in the referendum, but which weren't, because David Cameron thought, well, A, first of all, when I promised it, I expected to go back into coalition in 2015 with the Lib Dems or someone else, and I could like, throw that promise out the window. Didn't work out. He was elected. I have to give the referendum, gave the referendum because of his own internal civil war, which had been going on for the last 20 20 or so years, and then realised, oh, shit, I'm going to lose it. But before that point had come, I'd already offered a referendum with no safety checks, like, i.e., you need a two-thirds majority, or you need a minimum turnout, or all the other factors. Um, I have to take some blame for that, because I went through the lobbies and said, let's have a referendum. Um, I'd been in there for about three months. But ultimately, we're now where we are, and I actually think, because of the way that our, constitu- our lack of constitution is, that there's a high degree of probability that we will be driven off the cliff edge by this government with it, who are being propped up by you know seven people and a billion pounds. And, and also, I mean, the, the people who are organising Brexit, I mean, people like Boris Johnson, if we wanted more proof of his incompetence, we had it last week, didn't we? The British citizen in Iran, locked up on secret charges for five years, Boris Johnson makes a comment. She's now looking at 10 years. I, mean, I think the joke's over, isn't it? I think a lot of people, I think, I think that issue, I think the issue of the bodies in Libya and that, I think something turned, something definitely turned in Parliament and his own party, but I think the joke was over. I think but a lot of people are, hey, but that's Boris. Boris is Boris. Uh, but I think on those two key issues, on the top of other things that happened, I think just people just thought, actually, there is, we're in a really serious placement. You've got the far right on the rise in parts of Europe. You've got Putin uh, apparently interfering in the democratic elections of not just potentially Brexit, but just in America as well. You've got climate change. You've got the world, in effect, going to hell in a handcart, it feels. And at this time, you've got, you've got Boris Johnson in the Foreign Office making mistakes like that. And I think people are now beginning to think, well, maybe he isn't such a great bloke to have in the Foreign Office it, it, and definitely not to be as, as the Prime Minister of this well, country. It used to be, didn't it, if the Foreign Office got involved with your case and you were a British citizen locked up abroad, it was a source of hope for you. Well, no no book, longer, is it? You know, oh, Boris Johnson has intervened on your behalf. Oh, bloody hell, that's the last thing I need, isn't it? 
But if, if people have had enough of Boris Johnson, of Theresa May, the, the next election is supposed to be 2022. What hope can you offer to people looking at David Davis, looking at Liam Fox, thinking, I can't last five years of this? Arguably one of their better performers, Michael Fallon, resigned as Defence Secretary, didn't he? Because he basically said, I've fallen below the standards of what are expected of the military, but he's not resigned, I notice, as MP for Sevenoaks, so he's obviously not fallen below the standards of what the people expect in Sevenoaks. And obviously not easy for you, Clive, to necessarily comment on on other sexual harassment cases at the moment, I'm I'm guessing. But what is Labour going to try and do to try and maybe get rid of the government before 2022? Surely there's a question here, which is that, although we live in a parliamentary democracy, one of the things that my party um, has had a real issue with is this, this issue about extra, extra parliamentary activity. The Labour Party is a parliamentary party. It, in effect, it operates through Parliament to try and change society and the economy and so on. But one of the big issues for, you know, during the so-called chicken coup and uh, with the rise of Corbyn last year was this argument, which is that Corbyn was also about people outside of politics, being involved in politics, extra-parliamentary activity, whether that be demonstrations, activity, and so on, peaceful, but outside of it. And um, there, is that, there, is, there is always that tension within the Labour Party. And I think one of the things that we haven't seen at the moment is, given what's happening with Brexit, given what's happening with the economy, given the hardship that people are in, there is an argument that you make political space in politics by what happens outside of politics. You think about Nigel Farage and UKIP. They had one, two MPs at their height both defections. They, had, they didn't win one single election, and yet arguably they've made the most fundamental change to our politics in post-war history. And so therefore the argument is that the Labour Party uh, is, is bigger than just the parliamentary Labour Party. It's also part of the Labour movement. That's the system, and that's, 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 and that's the system. And that, to me, that's what, that means everyone out there... Every, everyone everybody's is, responsible. We're we all responsible, well, we ladies are. and gentlemen. It's up to us. But a democracy isn't just about putting a vote in a box, is it? A democracy is about... It's about social media, yes. It's about writing letters, yes. But it's also about actually saying, we've had enough of this. We don't want it. And you make that political space, and then politicians, what you find is politicians then react and respond to that. Now, Catherine, you, you were interested. You were telling me you were interested in possibly going into politics, <laughs> and you wanted to have a chat with Clive, and you wanted Clive to tell you why it was a terrible idea for you to go into politics, almost to try and put you off so as you didn't have to do it. Um, is that right? Have I got that right, basically? I kind of feel like I'd like to. I'd like to sort of fix people's roofs and be, you know, a really good local politician. I think Westminster just feels exhausting. There's two sides to it, though. There's the constituency side, mm. which is the helping people side of it, and then there's the Westminster side. And, I mean, the shit that I've been through the last four weeks, I can see why people will be put off. I mean, I would have been put off if I knew about, if I knew about it. Yeah. But, actually, there is another side to it. And if you, if you actually genuinely want to help people, then it is a valid route, I think, to, be, to being able to do that. And making that, helping make that political space yeah. for change. But you're also doing it yourself, aren't you? You're doing it in other ways. Trying. And as I was saying, I'm also a Green Party member, so yeah, with that the might... current system as it is, it's very yeah. hard to think that there would be any point. Well, you, you say can. that, but then we, we had, obviously, the co-leader here mm. last month, and he would say that he was very enthusiastic that everybody should get involved and uh, very enthusiastic about progressive politics, and uh, you were one of the people, Clive, who was saying that uh, you know, various Labour members should stand aside, Isle of Wight, down in Brighton as well, to, uh, to let the Green Party have a clear run, but you, you weren't I said that it. before the general election was called, because obviously you can get kicked out for saying that. <laughs> so, I mean, I think there's an argument. And look, we have a... 
but we have a we have a first past the post political system, which is a you know a 19th century anachronism. And what we need is a political system which takes into account yes accountability to a constituency, the constituency link, but you can also in, increase the proportionality to make sure that how the electorate in that constituency or beyond vote has more of a reflection in the actual outcome that actually happens. And at the moment, we don't have that. And if you have that, a more progressive uh, form of voting, then I think smaller parties like the Green Party, the Liberals and so on will, will, will do better. And I think, I think what you will find is a, a progressive majority that will keep the Tories out and stop them from dominating the 21st century that they dominated the 20th. Now, Dominic, you were down on record as talking to your son, uh, Tom. You said, you, what advice would you possibly offer him? And you, <sighs> you advised him not to say anything political at the moment because he's only a young yeah. lad. And I was wondering, that's not easy in the current climate. News, sort of, you know, if you think everything is... Sure. Whether it's Harvey Weinstein or whatever. I sure. mean, were you worried about your son going off to Hollywood or was Dominic always there <laughs> in the background tapping his watch? At, you know, got well, to 11 o'clock at a party going, come on, son, time to go. The thing with Tom now is that because of this extraordinary role that has landed in his lap, he has a massive platform. So if he were to say something inadvertent... Spider-Man thinks this. Yeah, and, and I think he isn't able to cope with that. He's 21. When I was 21, I didn't know anything about politics or anything about the world. Um, you know, I disagree with things I hear now and I can make an argument. Whereas Tom isn't able to do that. He's made movies since he was 14. He's not really been to school. He's been, not homeschooled, but he's been on a movie set since he was 14. So if you did ask him a hard question on a red carpet, with the internet now, it would just expand and grow. Yeah. And he can't cope with that. And I've said to Tom, be apolitical, because you're just a kid who happens to be playing this role. And also I think there's a lot of bullying so Susan Sarandon voted for Bernie Saunders and didn't vote for Hillary. So she is now being bullied yeah. by the, the bullying left because they consider that Susan Sarandon let them down. Now, as far as I'm concerned, Susan Sarandon is a mature woman, probably a very bright woman, completely adroit and able to make her own decisions. I would hate for my son to have to account for something bigger than he understands at such a young age. So I've said to Tom... Just answer your questions about your movie and be apolitical. Because otherwise, mate, you're in a quagmire of... Uh, you're in a world of pain. And d- does he go, Dad, that's very good advice, or does he go, Dad, finish that Guinness and then we'll talk about it? <laughs> <laughs> now, I, think, I think Tom does listen to me, because in America, he has people now. I've never had people. You know, I've been a showbiz person for 25 years. I've never had people. Tom has people. He has a battery of people. And they all want to remain his people. Okay, he can fire them can't fire his old man. So when I say something to Tom, it is absolutely in his best interest. Whereas I'm not saying his people haven't got his best interest, but they also want to remain on his ticket. And so I always say to Tom, you've got to couch what they say because they are looking for your favour. Whereas I can say things, Tom, which are unpopular, but I'm still your dad. And in terms of family club, you, um, you, you recently got married. Now... Uh, as I understand it, you voted against triggering the election because it was going to muck up your marriage plans. You, you were going to have to cancel your honeymoon, cancel your stag do. And there's a brilliant footage, I don't know if you've seen it, when one of the best celebrations during the election was Clive hitting his heart and then doing the little V sign. Brilliant. If you haven't Punch watched it... Uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> no, he touched it. He merely touched it with some force. And that's right. Uh, exactly. <laughs> but, um, but, yeah, I mean, I'm guessing you were, you were ecstatic, not only at the result, but also the fact that you, you then didn't have to go home and tell your wife. Not, not only had the election scuppered, your, you know, the marriage plans in terms of the, the honeymoon, but also that you didn't have a job anymore. So it was, it was a very important... <laughs> 
My wife wasn't asked about the election. She was just told that she wasn't going to be able to get married in Westminster, which is where we were going to get married. And so technically, once the election was called and the date was established, it was quite clear that I wasn't going to be an MP. And you have to be an MP to get married in Westminster. And so when that was broken to her, there were quite a few tears. But um, I think uh, the way that it came across was that the reason that it was cool was, I think Theresa May was, was jealous, and she didn't want me to have an, uh, a wedding. That was why it was on a comedy show. That, I did. <laughs> uh, that she was jealous, and it was done despite my election. I personally don't uh, see it like that. Um, yeah, it was difficult. It was hard. Um, but actually, um, having, the, having the wedding or the honey, having the wedding just before the election and then my wife spending her honeymoon on the doorstep with me in Norwich was pleasant. That is exactly what she was after. (laughs) It's what she wanted. I'm not sure she would agree with that. So where did you get married then? So Palace Westminster stopped. So so they actually actually made an exemption. Not a happy eater. They made an an exception and they they, they, they allowed us to get married. And you got your honeymoon later, but have you had your stag do yet, Clive? No, that got cancelled, but I couldn't talk about that because that wasn't seen as... that. I was told to shut the... Shut up about that. Okay. Um, so my stag do got curtailed, which my wife was very, very happy about. Yes. Well, I mean, given the, the, the footage on the internet that's obviously got you in a bit of trouble recently, uh, I'm guessing she was very glad there wasn't more footage on the internet of what you, what you might have been up to. Well, tell you, well yes, of course. And uh, I think, just for, just for the record, I mean, I've, you know, that, that was a stupid thing to say. I think, I, I think I've, I've already said that uh, on record. But I think in the context of being in a game show at the last night of conference where there was lots of banter and there was a very, very strong female compare. And I'm not justifying what I said, <laughs> clearly. And she was basically demanding this guy went down and, and then I said to this bloke, hey, on your knees. And I, at the time, I, I remember there was a bit of my brain fighting, saying, don't say that, yeah. fool. Don't say that. And normally I listen, but this time I just didn't. <laughs> and, um, and the words came out. And I think the, the words separately were fine. But knees on your knees, and the other at the bit of it component together, kind of uh, are unacceptable. Well, also, you know, we wouldn't want you to do comedy events. That one was a, a midnight event, by all accounts. The bloke himself, he said, didn't feel like he was a victim. He thought it was right. funny, and uh, he said that he'd also shared a beer with you. You downed your pint, and uh, then tried to down his pint as well. And he that's thought, not that, true. He, he, well, that's what he said. He said, You're and he, it no, up. no, he said that. He said that, and he said he thought it was funny. But of course, Dominic would say, you know, your mistake you made is you should have had the half, <laughs> and then, <laughs> then, then it would have all worked out. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Wow. 
Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. So, Kevin, let's move on to, to Unpackaged. You, you set up the, uh, a cafe, you set up a shop, you've now got a concession at Planet Organic in Muswell Hill. The whole idea is to do away with packaging, to sort of refill. People come with their tubs and refill. And have you had problems with people refilling? They're supposed to be zero waste, but presumably some people aren't as good at, at filling their own tubs as they might be. If this is completely self-service, customer automated, does it... Do you have difficulties with people not filling their tubs as well as they might? Most people are very skilled. Yes. Kids. So the bottom row of handles is quite near little toddler uh, level, so you've got to have proper vigilant eyes on the kids. But everyone, everyone's really capable. It's, it's not hard. And also I think there's going to be more technology that's going to help it. So at the minute, yes, the dispensers are probably quite manual. So the whole idea is, is that you come down and we've got food in bulk and you bring your own containers and fill up. Um, but there is a lot of development going on. So in the future, you know, things could come through a supply chain. You know, you, packaging won't look in the future what it looks like now. So people will start seeing packaging as a service rather than a thing with an end of life. So it, it's really how you get goods from A to B. And that, um, I'm trying to think of some really good examples. So have you seen the company Made.com? So if you go, they've got a big shop, so they make furniture, and they've got a big shop in um, Tottenham Court Road, and you don't go and choose your sofa, you go in and choose a picture of your sofa. In the future, you could potentially buy food in that way, and it would come in a sort of capsule, and then you would you know, give the capsule back. So there's lots of really interesting new types of packaging coming through. So it, it's this... The whole, at the moment, it's all dry food, like rice. Everything. And... So we used to sell 700 products. So we did vodka, wine, sweets, fruit and veg, oils, vinegars, shampoo. So the whole oh. idea was like staple products. And, and um, it's cereals and pulses and dried fruit. But also chocolate buttons. Something for the kids. A bit of yeah. pesto power. OK, you can get, you know, nice. your, your quinoa or whatever, Mum. But we're getting chocolate buttons yeah. in a huge bell jar. One of our bestsellers. Yeah. We sell, I think we probably sell about, well, we sell 10 kilos of mango slices a week, which tells do you they, about the mango. Do they send them to you, though? You don't have to, like, rip open loads of packets no. to put them so in. We, so we get it in bulk, but part of the reason that I now don't own my own shop and I'm trying to work on bigger scale things is to sort out the supply chain, because to date, it's not that easy to get bulk products because there isn't that much demand on the retail end. So it is a supply chain solution that's needed. What's which stopping, isn't very sexy what's, for a comedy night what's out. Stopping, <laughs> what's stopping the big big boys and girls in that industry saying, great idea, we'll have that, thank you very much. I think, so we're talking to them, so there's interest. I think to date... Um, there hasn't been that much awareness amongst consumers. It's really chicken and egg because they say consumers don't want it and I say, well, it's quite hard for a consumer to ask for something they don't know exists because you've spent the last 20 years selling them over-packaged products and telling them the only thing they should care about is price. So I think there's a lot of of issues with the supply chain in terms of, um, you know, they're so lean in their operations. Um, 
everything is about the maximum value per square foot, so it's very hard to then sort of bring in a new system that doesn't involve packaging, which is essentially, you know, but, picking... But this is all be- very current at the moment with Blue Planet, with all the plastic in the oceans, talk of them even discovering plastic at the bottom of the Mariana Trench, seven miles down. Plastic is everywhere. Plastic is in your drinking water. There is a fact that says that there is currently a ratio of one to five uh, plastic to fish in the ocean. By 2050, it will be one to one. Well, there was, there was, I saw footage on the internet, a hermit crab w- walking along, and it, it's got, for its shell, it's got a huge bit of Lego as its shell. Obviously, you're wondering, you know, as it grows, whether it's going to lose that bit of Lego, then move on to Duplo if it can find a bit, <laughs> mega block or, or, or whatever it is. <laughs> you don't expect to be discovering James Cameron and his little submersible going, what can we discover on the very bottom of the ocean? It's a, a, a bag for life or, or whatever it is. Isn't it depressing, though, that we all know that China and India and the developing world account for an extraordinary amount of that plastic that's dumped into the oceans? The stat is is that only 14% of all plastics is actually recycled. 14%. So 40% of it's being landfilled, 30% of it is escaping into the oceans and general environment. And of the 14% that's being recycled, only 2% is being recycled back into what it was. So glasses don't get recycled back into glasses, they get made into plastic. And that can only happen a few times and then you can't do anything with it. So the whole recycling myth, you know, it, it's not about recycling more. This is that's an interesting thing, isn't it? Once you see it, a, it's everywhere. We're in a theatre in London, mm-hmm. the West End, and we've got plastic glasses. Is that because, politically, there'll be a, there'll be a bylaw that says a bar on, on Dean Street needs to have plastic glasses? The reason glasses we've got should... plastic glasses is they're worried that we'll be a bit clumsy and we'll knock them off. Yeah. That's the only reason exactly we've got plastic. Reason. It's yeah. not good enough for you. Then, or, or it's all going to kick off because, you know, Clive's <laughs> going to come off stage and be cross we asked him the wrong question. It's <laughs> 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 coming, that's coming. <laughs> no, no, you know, it's brilliant. You, you're obviously completely across your facts as I expect you to be. I'm now wondering if this person who approached you a year ago and said, I've got something, and then have done a huge spreadsheet, whether it was in fact Kath herself who, who'd gone, here we go, I can give you some facts, Clive. But the, the thing I'm interested about in terms of Michael Govey's the new Environment Secretary, there's been talk of trying, like the plastic bag tax has worked brilliantly in Britain in terms of... Clive's not happy about this. He, he, for, those, for those of you listening on the podcast, he's just thrown his, thrown his head back in, in disgust at the men, mere mention of Michael Gove. Plastic bag tax has worked, though. Down 85%. You see people coming out of a shop now with a Jenga, like, you know, a whole mountain of eggs at the top walking out of a garage... But the thing they don't is, want to get a bag. But they, they're, yeah. trying, they're trying to do it for disposable cups, 5p on disposable cups. But the thing is, isn't it, if you, if you did that for a coffee shop, they say for when you go into a shop, you know, would you like a plastic bag? And you say no, and then you can carry your stuff away. But if you go into a coffee shop and you say, oh, would you like a plastic cup or a disposable cup? And you go, no. Then what do they do? They just pour it down your throat. <laughs> what, what, what's the, how does it work? Go in your own mug. It's a different habit to get into which is taking reusable things around with you but once again technology is going to help us so there are going to be systems which can manage the flow of reusable cups around high street so at the minute you can just um you can take any disposable cup into most of the big coffee chains and they'll now recycle it for you it doesn't matter if it's their brand or someone else's brand whilst changing people's behavior within the parameters of consumerism is a good thing and it's a tra- I say transitionary thing. It's something you're moving towards. Ultimately, I think many people will accept that the way that we live in the West and is now increasingly that kind of so-called middle class, uh, which is spreading now across the brick economies into China, India, we don't have enough planet. 
it's not going to work. So we can talk about taxes on plastic bags. We can talk about recycling coffee cups. But the bottom line is there isn't going to be enough planet to to have to have that way of that, that lifestyle that we currently have, it's, we're talking about a major fundamental change, not just to the way that we have economics and the way that we, but the whole thing about constant growth, consumers, it, it's not sustainable. And at the moment, Michael Gove is, and I just I was there today in Parliament talking about the uh, new um, industrial strategy. It is about growth. Now I get that. My party also wants to talk about good growth, clean growth, sustainable growth. I get that as well. But actually, there isn't enough planet. But Clive, that's why, and that's the, and that's the, so the, the, it needs a, you know, they need, we need to actually something quite radical. That's to be why able politics to and economics are incompatible, because you want to appeal to people to be voted in. So you're promising jam, and all politicians do that. They all promise jam because without jam, you don't get into power. You don't get any, you don't get any chance to do anything. Yeah. So you, you constantly talk about growth because any politician in parliament talking about reducing the size of our economy. Is toast. So John McDonald is under fire at the moment in the media for a so-called having blown, you know, a really bad budget or a poor budget, an average budget by Philip Hammond because he refused to enter into what he called the trite journalism, where they were saying to him, "Tell us how much it will cost for you to service Labour spending debt." Uh, because you're going you're gonna to spend more than the Tories. And he was basically, I, I hear what he's saying. He was saying, I'm not going to enter into this, into this discussion because actually we want to get away from this premise that investing in people, in infrastructure, no, in tomorrow... I disagree with that. I disagree with that. Because what he actually said is... No, no, no. That's what, no, that is what he said. And I'll, I'll finish the point. I'll just finish the point and you can please come in. Um, what he said was what we want to get away from it. And they did it again today in the chamber, which was basically saying Labour want to spend, spend, spend with no taking into account of the debt that they'll rack up. But the bottom line is we've already racking up debt, but we're not spending it. We're spending it on day-to-day spending, and some of it is on, on investment. What we're saying is if you spend, if you invest, that is an investment in your children, in your grandchildren, in tomorrow's productive capacity. And I think that's what the difference is. And so whilst I understand the point you're making, which is that we want to offer jam and so on, there is a process which I think we are now going through, which is trying to change what the orthodoxy, what the kind of accepted view of economics is. And if you can do that on investment, which I think John McDonald is trying to do, it's only a couple of steps from there to do it about the environment and about sustainability and about you know, those global resources. That's, that's my personal view. And, I, and unless people like me talk about it, who else is going to talk about it? Well, what he actually said, though, was that the, he actually said, because interest rates are so low, he said it's free money. And that's one of the most dangerous things any politician can do, because what all, all, all incumbents do and all parties do is they kick, they kick the can down the road. Not on my watch. Not on my watch is what they do. And there is a huge bill, £48 billion a year to service our current debt, £48 billion. You can't even conceive of that number. That's what it costs. What is, what is money? Well, yeah, we can, we can, <laughs> oh my God, we've got philosophical yes, yes. now, haven't we? I, I, but if my head is exploding. I've got a nine-day-old kid. I, saw, I can't cope with this sort of level. <laughs> I, saw, I saw a guy with a sandwich board the other day. I just, just the way that my mind thinks. And it said, that it was on the budget, and it said, uh, UK debt, 2.7 trillion, 2.2 trillion. Uh, US debt, 20.2 trillion. Global debt. Uh, 200 uh, trillion or something like that and I, and, I, and I thought to myself who do we owe this money to kind of alien bankers you know <laughs> this, this is the debt that we owe to people on this planet so global debt 200 trillion well, what it is but sorry, the, so, the, 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 what it is then is just printed money it's QE it's is just guys in our treasury and our bank of England creating wealth 
which is fictional. Well, and it will have to be paid but back. The, but the thing is, and this, it will pay back by a future well, generation. Well, this is the thing: we bailed the banks out in 2008 because of what they did, and yet the people who have the license to create money in our economy, we've given it out, are the banks. That's the that's the well, that's the bizarre thing, isn't it? They create money by lending money. They when they lend when they give you a loan for your mortgage or they give you a loan uh, to buy your car, that we have given them license to create money, and yet at the same time we have bailed them out. The financial market. The thing about the, the banks, though, that we got to remember, Clive, well. is they have limits in place to prevent fraud, though, and that <laughs> that Clive is the most important thing. So we we we, we need to. Do, Find out a little bit about your, your Edinburgh show. Yeah, I had a did, great time, Andy. It's been excellent. A long did, time. You, did you have a good time? I did. You, been you've been up time. there loads of times, obviously, before. Yeah, well, back in the day, and I, I got awards and it kind of got onto, onto the telly. And I, Shall we just I, tell them the, the, the title of your Edinburgh show? It was <laughs> How Tom Holland Eclipsed His Dad. Well, actually, <laughs> it was just called Eclipse. But the reason why I wrote the book and wrote the story is that Tom's life has been a fluke, okay? So he, he, went, to a, he went to a conference. He doesn't see it like that, but his dad does. <laughs> He went to a comprehensive school. He didn't go to a stage school. He didn't go to one of these, uh, you know, posh um, schools where kids sort of have this rites of passage into the acting world and the high arts. And so it happened to Nicky and I. He was eight years old when he was spotted at a YMCA, a little dance class on a Saturday afternoon. He got spotted by this guy and said, I'd like your little boy to audition for a West End show and that turned out to be Billy Elliot he played Billy for two years and then he got into movies and so the whole thing is, has happened to Tom and, and visited my family and at the same time I was in Los Angeles because I'd written film scripts and novels and I'd sold my books to Hollywood and I was trying to set them up as movies and I never did I never managed to do it I was going to Los Angeles having meetings selling the rights getting paid to write re- rewrites but I never got them set up I had Directors attached and big actors attached, but they always fell over. But unbeknownst to me, at the same time, my little boy, my eldest son, was busy becoming a film star. So the fact when he got Spider-Man, it was so extraordinary, such a big, huge role for an ordinary family, albeit I'm a a stand-up comedian, it just seemed to me to be a natural story to want to tell. How this kid became a movie star and how I look at it in a bemused sense of pride that I never made it myself. But um, there's no rancour in my story. But there's still time. Yeah, and, fucking And hope. you've still got those <laughs> film scripts, haven't you? Yeah, and, and he's now a big player, so maybe, who knows? Well, um, you, there's this great story where you, you were saying you used to dress him up in Spider-Man when he was little. Little lad, that, yeah. Now, all little boys Now, now he is Spider-Man. Yes. Are you not tempted to maybe dress up as Spider-Man's dad <laughs> and just see, all right, son, any chance, any chance... Do you know what? I tell you what, I, I'm sorry to be serious, but I, there is a, an actress I know, and her father um, tr- gets into all her movies as an extra, and uh, it caused a big problem. And the idea of me ever trying to get some traction off the back of Tom, it leaves me cold. Yeah. You know what I mean? I just think, you know what? It'd be, I'd hate to ever be eggy and compromise Tom. Can I just, can I just check? Did he, is he the guy that played Spider-Man in... Uh uh, the win- uh, Captain America, the Winter, the Winter Soldier. No, Captain America: Civil War was his debut. Civil War, that yeah, was it. that was I Tom. Yeah. yeah. So okay, so there you go. <laughs> <laughs> can, I, can, I, can I just come in here? Can I just come in here? Tom hasn't got a clue who Clive is. <laughs> <laughs> I know who he is now. Sorry, I'm not into. I like I like Captain America, so I'm not so much into the. Uh, the kind of individual ones, franchises. So yeah, that's yeah, all yeah. I know. But you know, like, I'm not into, I'm not particularly into the Avengers stuff, okay. But I'm absolutely cock a hoop 
that what's happened to the little fella because who knew? And it's a great, it's just an extraordinary thing that's happened to Tom. He's in Los Angeles today. He phoned me on the way here today. And uh, you chat to him about his life. And it's so divorced from where I've lived and where you live, Andy. You, I know you do Mock the Week and you've had a great career. But what's happened to Tom is just extraordinary. And I think, wow, thank God. You know, how, what, a, what a fantastic thing to happen. Because he's going to open doors for his brothers. And he's just having a great life. And he's just enjoying himself. And the movie so far have been really successful. He's going to have some turkeys, but, you know, I can get up and up with those. I'll use my experience to help him with some of those. The blurb for your show was, was lovely. It was, uh, you know, yeah. you'll be able to follow Tom through movie theatres throughout the world and his dad through village halls across England. <laughs> and it... and the, but the, going to Edinburgh, though, I imagine that all the audience coming, because the, the, the show was so well previewed and then reviewed, thank God, I expected the whole audience to come along and know... So when I would reveal that my eldest son, Tom, is Spider-Man, the audience would go, no. And it really was, an, it was a hurdle for me to overcome, because I just expected them all to know. A lot of people were Googling it during shows, working out, is it actually true? Well, and maybe having an annoying little phone go off and making <laughs> yeah. little dog whistles, that sort of thing. Oh, oh that, terrible that is. So, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to go to questions. But before we do that, let me just tell you who we've got next month and the month after. December show, we've got Lucy Powell, MP, we've got Richard Herring, and we've got the Telegraph columnist Michael Deacon. It will be here for December. And then in January, we've got Josh Widdicombe, we've got uh, David Lammy, MP, and we have uh, Guardian columnist Suzanne Moore. So, um, anybody listening on the podcast uh, feel free to get in contact at andyparsons.co.uk on the website so I saw a hand up Hi far there. away uh, Catherine what you're doing sounds amazing um, it's heartbreaking to hear such a smart articulate woman though say that she can't follow her values by standing for the Green Party and I understand because it's a voting system and I think Dominic what you said about nuance in politics is also let down by this voting system because it's so binary there's no mm. space for people to have preferences so, Clive, um, you've been fantastic at leading uh, Make Votes Matter and Compass and really speaking for proportional representation. Um, I realise that not everyone in the country is going to wake up in the morning and go, oh, my God, what we need is proportional representation. But people care about homelessness. They care about the NHS. They care about war and peace. And all these things are decided by a democracy that's broken. Uh, at the last uh, election in 2015, one in four people voted UKIP, Green and Lib Dems. They got 10 MPs between them. This year, of course, the DUP got 10 MPs, and now they've got this ridiculous coalition going on, a minority government. I think the two biggest... There is a question coming, I promise. The biggest opposition, I think, to proportional representation are two people, which is Theresa May and Jeremy Corbyn. Now, Theresa May, I don't think we can appeal to a sense of social justice particularly. Jeremy Corbyn, however, what can we do to get him to stop being ambiguous about supporting proportional representation. Mm. And can I just stop you there for that? For, I mean, a brilliant way of including all three of our guests in the question. <laughs> all, also, probably the most articulate question the Slacktivist Action Group has ever had. <laughs> and also impressively long-winded, almost long, more long-winded than any answer any politician has given from the stage. Zach Clive, over to you. I think Zach is a politician, isn't he? <laughs> um, uh, I think it's not about changing Jeremy Corbyn's mind. I mean, I think it's possible. Um, and actually, I don't actually know what his mind on this is, so you might know more than me. John MacDonald uh, is, a, is a supporter of PR. But I think it's about... I know I was speaking to someone very senior in Unite 
They don't have policy on proportional representation. I think changing their policy to support proportional representation is one start, is one thing. And then I think changing the, Demo- changing the Labour Party's policy on it. And Jeremy Corbyn doesn't decide what the Labour Party decide on. So, you know, I think ultimately it's about it's a democratic choice. And the reason I think it's an idea whose time has come for our party as well is that I think there's an instinctive understanding at the moment that politics is broken. You know, any, any kind of political system which can kind of drive us out of the European Union, which I think has been hugely beneficial, has its faults, but hugely beneficial. Politics can't be working. In any kind of politics which allows, you know, Theresa May and the shambles of her government to do what they're doing to this country, politics is broken, and so on and so forth. So I think there is a sense at the moment that something needs to change. I don't think PR is a panacea, but I definitely think it has lots of merits where we can actually begin to engage people back into politics. Um, but you're right. You know, telling people that, hey, if I vote for PR, it's going to solve the country's problems isn't going to happen. But I think, we're at a, I think sometimes an idea has its time, and I think its time might well be now. Just to say for those, um, those people who are listening on the, on the podcast at home and for anybody else, please subscribe to the podcast if you can. Just one click. It's a very slacktivist way. All you need, that's all you need to do, and it goes straight to your, your phone. You don't have to do anything else. Uh, and in terms of please spread the word, please come back, please think of a question, and you've got a whole month before the next show, so you've <laughs> then got a chance to come and ask our guests next month as well. And in terms of we try and get people to do one thing, in the meantime, over the next month, so feel free to pop up to Muswell Hill to, uh, to go and see Unpackaged at Planet Organic. Go and see Dominic on tour and village halls all across, <laughs> all across England. Um, there's also a film script that needs buying, so if anybody's interested. <laughs> and... Uh, Many thanks to the guests. I myself will be in a, in a whirlwind of sleep. But if you want to get involved with something else, Michael Gove was basically, you know, he says he's going to ban microbeads, says he's going to ban the ivory trade. The only thing he has done is instigated the largest badger cull this country has ever done. And apparently what they do is they use Nutella. They actually use Nutella to lure them out... And I can't imagine Nutella are best pleased with that publicity. I can't see them actually using it. Nutella, how you lure badgers out to their death. I don't think Nutella will be using that. But what you want to do, ladies and gentlemen, if you are keen to save the badgers in your local area, find out where the set is, get up to Unpackaged, get a huge bell jar of Nutella, don't use any packaging, and go and home deliver it to the badgers, and then they won't have to come out and get killed. It's a lovely end there. It, was, it <laughs> what, wasn't quite the response I was after. And I haven't slept for some time. So thank you very much to all, all of our guests. Clive Lewis MP, Catherine Conway, Dominic Holland. Thank you for coming. See you next time. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.